Well, hello there. This is John from pureandsimplebible.com. Thank you so much for joining me again on the podcast. I'm grateful for your attention, and I'm grateful for the conversations that I get to have with so many people. Today, Justin Owen is joining me. He's from Edmond, Oklahoma, works with the Congregation of the Lord's Church in that place. And I'm very thankful to consider this question, how can I have peace? This conversation is such a great one for people who are looking for ways to maybe mend relationships or to find a sense of satisfaction in a life that may be a little bit out of control. This conversation is happening through Zencaster, an app where Justin is able to be in his home office and I'm in mine and we're meeting over the internet so, without further ado, let's jump into this conversation, and I hope you enjoy what the Bible has to say about finding peace. I'm here with Brother Justin Owen from the Edmond, Oklahoma area, Oklahoma area, and uh, very thankful for you to be with me, Brother, especially since you're the guinea pig of this format where you're in your home and I'm in mine, and we're meeting through a uh, app called Zencaster. So, thank you for taking a risk and joining me today from your home office. Well, thank you for having me. I'm honored to be your guest. <laughs> now, you, you sent me a sermon um, that was a question, how can I have peace? And uh, my understanding is that there are some scriptures from James 4 that really kind of set the mood. So I thought maybe you could share some of those with us before I ask my first question. Well, sure. You know, peace is one of these subjects, I think, that tends to elude people. We We all seek it. We all want it. But uh, you know, leaning on the Bible's wisdom and the things that it has to say about how we can have peace is, I think, a, a good and important thing to do. So in James 4, you've got those first few verses where he asked the question in verse 1, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you don't have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. So as James kind of introduces that idea uh, of conflict and of, uh, of wanting to have a lack of conflict in our life, he kind of explains part of the problem with the human psyche to begin with. We, we are kind of self-absorbed. Yeah. He goes on in verse 7, you know, to, to talk about, when we submit to God and when we resist the devil, the devil flees from us. If we draw near to God, then he's going to draw near to us. So the advice James gives in verse 8, cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. And I think that does kind of set the stage a little bit for us to talk about this subject. Well, good. I, You know, it's uh, frustrating that sometimes the ones you love the most are the ones you end up treating the worst because in that self-absorbed way, you're, you're caring more about what you want than, and you're treating the ones around you bad. And so that you're asking that question, well, then how can I have peace? Maybe peace in my life with relationships, peace uh, with at work or at school or at home, et cetera. Um, and, and there's a lot of questions you could ask. How do we get it? Uh, why is it so difficult to hold on to it? Why does it seem so elusive? The world around us just seems like it's spiraling out of control and peace is not really a priority for anyone. Maybe uh, we could focus in on a specific story. Could could you tell us about Sarah Winchester? I, I liked what you said about her in the notes. Yeah, you know, that's a fantastic story. Uh, where I'm from, California, 
just, I don't know, about 40 or so miles south of where I grew up in San Jose, there was a woman by the name of Sarah Winchester. And she was actually the widow of the the gun company owner, you know, the, the guy who built the Winchester rifle. <laughs> yeah. So for about 38 years uh, from 1884 until her, she died in 1922, her house was under constant construction. Uh, she'd have like teams of carpenters coming in, all kinds of others uh, just were employed around the clock to do all kinds of different projects for her. And it, it's not that she was constantly renovating her house that made made this story interesting. What made it interesting is that she had worthless construction going on all the time. It was, it was just really mm. an odd, odd place. And if anybody visits California, I'd say go check it out because it is a weird house. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Sarah, uh, when people around her were asked some of the reasons that she, you know, felt this need to build or felt compelled to build all the time, there were people that were around her and reported that she had a belief that she was either haunted or she would be haunted by the ghosts of the people that killed, uh, that were killed by her husband's weapons. And oh she kept building the house. That was oh like my. her fear is people were, or spirits rather, were going to haunt her if she didn't keep building. And talk about, you know, she clearly had some some sort of mental health issue there. Right, but right. talk about <laughs> a lack of peace in a person's life. I mean, she had more than 10,000 windows put in that place. She has storeway, uh, stairways and, and doorways that lead to absolutely nothing. And I, I've been there. Uh, it's funny. There's one set of stairs that is in one of the living rooms that just goes up into the ceiling. And if there's no <laughs> opening in the ceiling. It just goes into the ceiling and stops. You think, why does she do that? And really, it was because of this belief of many think anyways. Wow. If somebody is that driven to have sanity and peace in their life and and this is the way that they think they can yeah. obtain it you can see the folly in that and but she's she's not alone in that endeavor is she well no she's not i mean we all do the same thing humankind does the same thing and we pursue peace through equally fruitless means we turn to things like pleasure and drugs and alcohol right. immorality right. immorality wealth all kinds of stairs leading into ceilings that have no opening. <laughs> so uh, instead, when we follow the path that God sets out for us, uh, we, we can have a peace that transcends things of this life. And that's kind of what this sermon is talking about. Lately, for some strange reason, uh, Fred Rogers videos have been popping up in my YouTube feed. I don't know what their algorithm is, but I'm, I've ended up watching a lot of Mr. Rogers clips. And what's interesting about him is this man was so kind and gentle and uh, believed the best in people, et cetera. And everybody reveres him as really probably, you know, not, not in the biblical sense, but one of the more saintly persons that's lived in our country. But I find that their faith in him did not give them the peace they were looking for because people liked that Mr. Rogers was so inclusive and welcoming and warming, and yet their lives were still out of control. I may make a connection with that. I may not. But <laughs> it seems like instead of pursuing different avenues to, uh, I guess, uh, at obtain peace, uh, I like a quote that you have in your, your notes. You say, rather than seeking peace as the end, we should be seeking to follow Christ 
And I love that. So can you maybe elaborate on it? Yeah, sure. You know, I think there's, I think there's this inextricable link between perfect peace and the carnal peace that we all seek. And as we go through this study, I think it is kind of made clear through some of the things that we observe that there is a special type of peace that we as Christians can have. And if we're seeking after that peace, we can have the other type of peace naturally. Uh, and that all comes from just following Christ. If, you, if you're seeking him, then that perfect peace that we're seeking to obtain, uh, it'll just come naturally. And even the carnal peace that we seek, a lot of times for us in our society today, it, it's a natural consequence of just right actions and following Christ. Right. So peace is a symptom of following Christ, but people are pursuing the symptom rather than the, the source. I, I love it. So um, I'm looking at Isaiah 26, and uh, you, you have several verses from there. I know we're going to talk about it a lot through the notes. But when I read Isaiah 26, verse 3, for example, it says that God will keep uh, certain ones in, in perfect peace. Uh, but it's not just anyone that has perfect peace, right? So you have to, it has to be more than simply acknowledging God, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Verse three uh, makes it perfectly clear, actually. It, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And I, I think there's a difference between the type of peace that a lot of people are seeking in this life and the type of peace that's spoken of here. And if no, if you get nothing else from this podcast or this conversation, uh, I would just beg people to think about this idea of perfect peace. The, the idea of having perfect peace is something different than what a lot of people are seeking right. in peace in this life. And hopefully that's brought clear as we go through the sermon. But Isaiah 26, you're right. It, there, there is a set of... Uh, circumstances that uh, an individual needs to fulfill in order to be able, be able to obtain this perfect peace. And uh, Isaiah says, God will keep you in that perfect peace, uh, but mm. it's conditional. <laughs> well, I like that. And so I think a great question to begin with, before we talk about how to get or th this perfect peace that God is uh, willing and promising to give, Let's begin with just identifying it. What exactly is perfect peace? Well, uh, a lot of people might define that differently than I would. But uh, as I went through this study, I think the idea of perfect peace, perfect peace, I think you could simply say perfect peace is being at peace with God. Mm. Uh, I think that's uh, the easiest and, and most simple way to define it. If perfect peace is to have peace with God, I mean, this is a maybe an elementary question, but let me just ask... Uh, how would I get it? How, how do I have peace with God? <laughs> That's a great question. That's the question that is, evangelists love to answer. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, I wish I got that question uh, frequently, <laughs> but I'm going to ask it, you know, for the sake of maybe people who are listening to this that are sure. wanting that perfect peace. Uh, well, you know, when, when we're kids, we, we don't understand sin. We don't know sin. But when we reach a particular age, and there's no number given, but I mean, you know, as we mature and as we get older, we understand what the world is. We're waking up to the world, if you will. Uh, we do know what right and wrong is, and we we start to understand what sin is. And when we understand what sin is, and we, we commit it anyways, when we first sin, we right. become enemies of God. And it's difficult 
to think of that transition period, how that happens and when that happens. And I don't think our minds have to fully comprehend that to know that uh, God is in control and he's abundant in grace and mercy and, and will make way for opportunity for our young people. But that question, how does one have peace with God? I, I think his, he, he gave us free will in life, but ultimately he gives us the instructions that we need to have in order to be in peace with him again. You know, we, we have to follow the paths that he has laid down in order to be restored to peace over in, uh, Ephesians 6, I might be jumping the gun mm -hmm. here, but uh, the Bible talks about having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And I, I think as we think about the Christian armor, those those feet, uh, you know, you, you have to you have to put your shoes on usually before you get out and go anywhere. Right. <laughs> and right. Uh, I think as we're getting that armor put on, as we get ready to, to go out and do battle, uh, the idea of having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, that idea, uh, the gospel of peace, I think just investigating that a little bit closer would lead us to the idea of, of what salvation is and how we find it. When we're introduced to salvation, as the scriptures teach, uh, we are introduced to peace as we make those links together. I think, we can understand how we come back into peace with God. Okay, so when you use that phrase, the gospel of peace, the gospel of peace of uh, is what exactly? Uh, I think there's a passage that would explain it better than me just ranting on about it. Colossians okay. chapter 1, uh, verse 19 through 23 says, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. You who were once alienated enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. It's through Christ's blood that we would have that opportunity of reconciliation with God. Though we have become his enemy, the blood of Christ allows us access back to him. You know, we can we can talk uh, further about what puts us into contact with the blood of Christ and, you know, walk, walk through the gospel plan of salvation with people if that is helpful. Right. But I think uh, those who have studied those things already have, have some idea of where those links are coming from. Sure. So obeying the gospel restores us into a state of peace with God. I like that. Um, I, I guess a follow-up question might be, uh, is our perception of perfect peace what god intends it to be uh you know so if i'm saved if i have the mindset of what peace is is it always god's mindset you know or, or is there times when maybe i might be thinking peace is uh something different than what god says yeah, that's a good question and honestly i wrestle with this question myself because i have to constantly remind myself of the peace that i seek and the peace that uh, that God wants me to seek. I, I think sometimes our perception of what perfect peace is, it, it is wrong. It does uh, fluctuate back to the, the self, the selfish mindset that we sometimes have. Uh, a lot of times we view true peace as just being a lack of conflict. Right. And right. that's not what true peace is. <laughs> uh, you know, think about the first century church. 
peace and persecution, they don't mix, but the first century church was fully persecuted. And think about the, the peace that some of those brothers had. Right. You know, if you look to the scriptures uh, over at Acts 16, you've got Paul and Silas there. They are preaching Christ and they're, they're not only beaten, persecuted, they, they're thrown into prison and they're in the prison cell. <laughs> they're singing, they're praying and there's a peace that's there with those men that the world is baffled by. And I think yeah. we as Christians today are baffled by it. We don't endure the persecutions that they did in those days. So I think it's easy for us to, to look at those people and say, wow, look at the example that they set. But, you know, they were they were living it. They were going through it. And to think about their just how we would react, maybe, if we were in those situations today. I, I wonder about, you know, if we were imprisoned for our faith. Yeah. What would we be saying? <laughs> we, would be, we, would be, you know, we would be praying definitely but when we would be praying we would be like God get me out of here please <laughs> so the idea that they were you know they were in prison and they were singing and I don't know what they were praying we're not told but I can't imagine it being something that was uh, you know it might have been deliver me from these chains. I think that that's an okay thing to pray. It would have been an okay thing for them to pray, but uh, yeah. whatever attitude they had, the mindset they had, it was enough to not just persuade the prisoners around them to listen, but also to persuade the jailer who was converted shortly after these events. So, Well, it's like they had Jesus' uh, you know, words in their heart already. I'm, I'm thinking about in John 14, 27, when he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your heart not be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So when I see that verse, Jesus is even telling them that the peace he gives will not be what the world thinks peace is. So it does make sense that um, they would be singing and praying because they had a different mindset of peace than the jailer and the other uh, people who were in jail did. And my understanding is that uh, from this verse and others, you're saying that we have access to that same kind of peace today. Is that right? We have access to it. Absolutely. We don't, I don't think we, we use that, that resource as often as we should. We go through, mm. you know, these many persecutions or trials or whatever they are. And some, some of these things are self-inflicted wounds. Some of them are just persecution or, or the light suffering that we go through as Americans, <laughs> but we don't, we don't look at those sufferings or those persecutions in the same with the same lens that these guys do. I, well, I, I shouldn't say we. I, I know my own mind and my own heart, and I don't as often as I should. So, right. You know, what's fascinating about those uh, that that verse that you quoted that Jesus gave. Uh, that's over in John fourteen, just one chapter before that. Judas was revealed as the the betrayer. Yeah. You know, G yeah. Jesus knows he's going to the cross, and now. To comfort his people, he's saying, my peace I give you. That that alone, it does teach a lot about what we think about peace and what, what peace really is. So it's not a peace that makes conflict go away. It's not a peace that means that persecution is dead. It just It's a peace that Christ offered that we can have today, but it's a peace that gives courage. Yeah, It's a peace that settles an anxious spirit. You know, you're not going to get this peace through oils or a, a, 
hot bath or <laughs> and it's it's not a it's not a carnal piece it's not a fleshly piece that we're at that jesus is offering wait you're uh, saying a bubble bath is not my avenue to perfect <laughs> heavenly peace <laughs> that's true yes uh, no it's not gonna work so <laughs> man sorry <laughs> the peace that transcends the physical and it really like drives to the heart the ability to take a persecution mm. and smile about it because you know you're being pleasing to god it's the ability to suffer wrongdoing because you've chosen to be Christian. There's a peace in that that we don't understand all the time. Because maybe it's because we don't suffer as these people did. And we don't suffer as often as they did. And we've had the comforts that we've had for so long. Maybe that's part of the reason why it's difficult to see this type of peace and difficult to right. to know that this is what we're striving to obtain instead of the, the physical peace that exists. I want to give a shout out to my youngest daughter who's in her first week of kindergarten right now and the perfect piece that eludes her when another cuts in line in front of her oh, and she's perfect. trying to figure out how to negotiate the justice of, <laughs> of being wronged but then also not making a big deal out of it. It sounds like the perfect piece does not come from her getting to be the line leader but being able to let go whenever somebody else gets picked instead of her, right? That's kind of a, a kindergarten example, but being at peace with being in the middle or the end of the line instead of always being picked first. Absolutely. And <laughs> I bless her heart. You know, she, I'm sure this is, uh, and I'm sure you'll agree, this is just the, the first <laughs> in many <laughs> waves because we do live in a rather selfish world, and I'm reminded of that every time I get in traffic. <laughs> <laughs> and you live in Oklahoma City. You need to come down to Dallas. Oh, hey. <laughs> this isn't really traffic anyways. I used to live in the Bay Area. So oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, brother, would you um, maybe read Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4? I, you have that as a, a verse about encountering peace. I think maybe it would be good to hear what the Scripture says, and then I'd like to ask yeah. you a question. Yeah, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Okay, so it's kind of a rhetorical question, but uh, how could we have perfect peace if we've never practiced what's going on in this verse? What do you think about that? You can't. You can't have perfect peace. I, I'm, I'm serious. You, you, you're not going to have perfect peace if you're constantly, you know, thinking about how to get your way and serve yourself. You're, you're going to run into somebody who is probably going to have that same mindset. <laughs> and Christians can't have that mindset. Right. A Christian can't have perfect peace if they've never practiced serving others and never thought of their own opinion as less than someone mm. else. Mm. You know, Christians who really understand what this world and what this, what this life are about, you know, they can fall victim to scrutiny. They can sacrifice themselves without qualification, and they can live for God first and not worry about getting their way all the time. Uh, it, the, the satisfaction in knowing that they're doing the right thing is enough for them, and that's really the way that Christians obtain the perfect peace in relations with others. I'm worried that if I'm always deferring to others in order to have that perfect peace, that I'm just going to get walked on all the time. So how do I stand up for myself? Maybe if if uh, 
I don't know, at my job or at, my, at school or something, if I'm getting picked on versus being at peace with, uh, you know, others around me and, and, um, kind of submitting to others and with a loving attitude, is there a way to balance those two? It, that's a great question. And I'm not sure I have the exact answer. Uh, I can tell you what my, what my own opinion is. on that. Well, it's going to be a cliffhanger and you got to come back next week. If you want to hear the answer to that question, specifically about how one can both have a sense of self-respect and not be walked all over, but also have a peaceful purpose. You know, that perfect peace that the scriptures talk about where we can be at peace when things don't go our way. Until then, I want you to go to the website if you haven't already and check out all the resources that are available there. There is now a second edition to all three of the workbooks, the Redemption Series, Bible Series, and Church Series. Uh, It's been polished up. It's been tightened up. I'm specifically proud of the Bible series this time around, which has a couple of new lessons in it, has been tightened up a lot, and I believe that you're really going to enjoy the update. They are free to download. You can have the PDFs on your phone or tablet, smart device, or you can buy a copy of them, and that funding goes to help me buy equipment for the studio and other things available at pureandsimplebible.com. So, until next week. This is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much. And I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story. A story that is true. About a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.